0: So uh, uh, we came up here uh, to the youth pastors' conference. Thought, we need to get away. We come up here, and it was called the youth pastor repose at the time. So rest, relax. And we get up here, and, and uh, on, on a stage stood a young couple. And I'm not going to divulge names or whatever, but <laughs> they had a rough patch. And, and I, that's putting it nicely. They had a very rough patch. He had been a youth pastor, and he had put on an event, Mud Football. You know, invited all the kids, come, we're going to go play mud football. And uh, all the kids, I mean all, <coughs> girls and boys, you know, coming down playing some mud football. Well, a couple of them showed up a little late. And was like they missed out on all the action. So a few more were laughing. They were playing mud football. Well, in the course of playing mud football, he had inappropriately put mud on some of these girls where he shouldn't be putting mud on. Make sense? <coughs> this game was over. The, uh, the hours went by later on. He gets a knock on his door. And it was a police officer. The end result was this he was arrested. His ministry was over. He would have no, uh, now have to be registered as a sex offender. All because a decision that was made that cost. Helen and I went back to the room and she told me. You need to go get your Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is too much. This is too scary. I gotta add another story to that, which I didn't put down as a note, but it came to my mind is that we sat across the table from another couple who is a youth pastor again, and a lot of my stories are definitely youth related, but now I've been in the adult industry, I'm getting a few more. <laughs> but uh, we he tells the story of how he took their scale home. Um, because there is no ride for her parents, whatever their excuses were, and he drives her off. And he's sitting in front of the house. And before she gets out of the car, she turns to him and tells, uh, "This is a true story. I love you." Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, we could talk about that at my office at the church. Okay. See ya. Uh, you know, I love you in Christ. But not okay. So she goes up to the steps and walks in the door. He sees her safely into the house, and he goes home and. She comes back outside the door, tears her clothes, goes back inside the house, tells her parents, The youth pastor tried to rape me, or rape me. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was. But um, his career is over, right? In defensive of ministry. That, those are some, I'm leaving out with some heavy stories, but they're true stories, and, and they happen. They happen all the time. And uh, I've worked in uh, youth ministry for over 30 years, and transitioning from youth ministries to adult ministries the past 10 years and uh, we walk through uh, this transition we ask ourselves what are the boundaries because <laughs> we've learned uh, I use this phrase quite often learn what not to do in ministry so you ask what are the boundaries what boundaries do we need to have in place what the boundaries do we need to set up do you keep the same boundaries that you did as your youth pastor now a senior pastor What does that look like? Um, Be be thinking and ready to share what you've learned, because I don't have all the answers, but I've learned some things along the way that I don't mind, and I look forward to sharing with you, because I like to hear what God has taught you and what boundaries you've placed. Here is we could keep. uh, Here's what we need to keep in mind. This is always true. Satan's real. The enemy is real. Uh, Satan is out there ready to destroy uh, ministries, ready to take you out. Uh, we, we know this for a fact. Uh, no matter if you are working with minors or you're working with the adults, he'll do it whatever way he can. Um, he'll do it a lot of different ways. The scripture that was led out with or the reference to 1 Peter was led out with by our first speaker, the first session, and he, he talks about the roaring lion, right? Had that imagery. And you got to be ready. You got to be aware. You got to be, we got to be reminded. So, I, I, in preparation for this, I'm thinking, I need to post first Peter somewhere. <laughs> I need to see that almost every single day and be reminded. Just a little side note I recently did this seminar <clears> at <throat> our church from the seminar that we attended with Tim and in defense of your marriage and the reality of a spiritual battle. Uh, the churches sometimes we fail in the area of uh, recognizing and communicating that there is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against what, but against yeah, the unseen. And, and it's very it's very real, and because it's unseen, we kind of don't recognize it and don't, don't give it credence. I'm going to use some of his materials, and I highly recommend you maybe picking that book up, In Defense of Marriage, by Tim Mohoff. But uh, take your scripture, you can follow along, the words will be on the screen. There's just two main verses. <laughs> After putting these two verses down, I thought about Ephesians again, about putting what? On? Yeah. And so that would be a good verse to be a part of your uh, notes and whatnot. But 2 Corinthians 2.11, the Apostle Paul wrote to young believers in Corinth in order to keep Satan from outwitting them. He reminds them. He writes this letter to remind them. And so we just need to become aware of the words that were used, the schemes, the deception, the lies, uh, the subtleness, 2 Corinthians 2.19, in this text, he's talking specifically about forgiveness, but he wraps it up, that last verse in verse 11. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I have been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his design. And he says, you know what? He's real. He's out there. and He's reminding the young believers in the church there. It just says we'll be reminding as we look at the text. He's real. Don't be outwitted. Be careful. Be on guard. Let's, let's look at that First Peter passage also. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. <laughs> you know, I think there's a dis—I uh, uh, believe there's a uh, a delusion, I guess you could say, that oh, he's he's not going to mess with me. You know, I think a lot of times people will do truly think that, and then and some people on the extreme—he's in everything. Oh, Satan did this, Satan did that. I rebuke Satan. <laughs> Whoa, take it down now. Let's understand who he is and what his limitations are. And that's what we're going to unpack a little bit. Okay? And we're going to be reminded of, really, because I think a lot of you guys are very well aware of this. So my question I want to lead out with this time together, how can you defend your ministry? How can you defend, better yet, because we've talked a lot about marriage. <laughs> I mean, most of you guys are married in the ministry, and you're there with your spouse. And how do you defend that? How do you, how do you protect that? How do you protect yourself personally? You know, what, what is it that you have in place and you know, the safeguards? First of all, I want to lead out with have a healthy biblical view of who Satan is. Uh, don't give credit. Only give credit where credit's due. Does that make sense? I don't know how many. I, I, because I've been through several uh, men that have been students or leaders of it, I have prophets in my life who go into Talbot and I had, uh, you know, Neil Anderson, and I, I read his books, and I've had different speakers that I've listened to and different material that just emphasize it. The thing that I walk away with the most is don't give credit. Only give credit where credit's due. And, and we got to understand who he is. And, and this is really going to be a good reminder. Here's some points to remember. The evil exists in this world, <laughs> I don't know about you, but pastoring and watching social media lately is just like evil has just reared its ugly head in so many different ways, and it just resonates to me. And I think, and it really has to do with thinking and philosophies and values, and just it just and it kind of like it does break my heart in a lot of ways. Just oh man. So uh, evil exists in this world and is personified the person of Satan. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit together. Uh, remember Satan in the Hebrew word is adversary. He's the adversary. What does that really mean? He opposes God. He opposes God's plans. So if you're about God's plans, you think he's going to oppose you? Absolutely. If you're about being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, is he going to, yeah, he's going to oppose you. I mean, honestly, if you're busy winning souls, discipling, giving biblical counsel, He's going to oppose you. Having a healthy marriage when marriages are falling apart all around us, and even and especially in the church, because this woke idea about what things are about. He's powerful and mighty, yes. He's personally intelligent, yes. You know, there's things that we know about Satan. He originally created for good, right? His original design who created him was God His name is Lucifer. He's a cherubim who's uh, tasked to protect, at the beginning, God's glory. Remember that about him in scriptures as you studied it? However, his original sin was what? Pride. I want to be like God. I want to have my own little domain and my own little kingdom. His wisdom was corrupted and it just took over him. And so uh, Satan is arrogant, and, and he wants to be like God. Scripture established that. You can look at Isaiah 14, and he, he's, he's personified with being a very deceitful, subtle, but wise individual. Well, he's had plenty of time to watch and look, right? Plenty of time. And uh, he's powerful. He's mighty. He's jealous of God's ambitions to have that personal relation with mankind who he created. Let's remember some things. He stood in the presence of a flawless God. You'd think he would know better. I preached through Revelations recently, and I'm thinking, why doesn't he quit? <laughs> what is, he, and he doesn't quit, even to the end. If your theology puts him in the position of being chained up for a 1,000 years, then all of a sudden released at the very, very, very end, if your theology takes you down that road, it's like, even then, what does he do? He gets up and he sees. And he turns people away while God was reigning on the roof. It's just crazy to think about this for any kind of length or depth. So we know that Satan is, uh, is arrogant and he wants to be like God, and so he stood in the presence of this flawless God, and as a result, his admiration for God turned to jealousy. And so that's who we're up against, this jealous, fallen angel. He he wanted God's standing, and he wanted God's authority, and he didn't get it. <laughs> Bottom line, and he won't ever get it. Although he's given this earth to roam and rule, quite does a quite doing a quite a good job at messing it up. That's for darn sure. He's forever haunted by the fact that he cannot be God. It's just that's 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 who Satan is. Once he sinned, God stripped him of that position of hey, you're going to be in charge of this, but you're no longer now. I'm kicking you out. You know that part of the story, him and a third of the angels being cast out of heaven. And so once he, he sinned, God strips him of this, and originally he was the highest. He had this great prestige, and he wanted to even be higher, and he, had a, he wanted his own dominion. God cast him out of the heavens to this earth. Isaiah 14, 12 speaks to this. And so he, he was banished to this earth, but not without a fight. Not without a fight, you know. And and you've got the fallen angels that come with him. And now while he's here amongst us and as he's sending his minions out, he's trying to take everybody else and anybody else that he possibly can. The ones that are already in sin, that don't have a relationship with God, he's not too worried about them. But he is worried about you. He's worried about me. He's worried about those that are faithful followers of Jesus Christ, those that preach his word. And so joining in his rebellion... He thought he would come when creation started and, and work his stuff. You know the story in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Did God really say that, Eve? Is that really true? And then Eve goes, here, honey. <laughs> you know, it could have a sad narrative story, but it's true. He deceived them, and they bought into it. And they didn't trust their God that created them. So Satan will always be in total rebellion against God, and he's, he's very active today. He's very active in leadership. <laughs> You're like, hey, amen, I can see it in all the leaders, especially our own, you know. <laughs> he's active and it's real. It's it's and we need to be aware of that. That's all I'm saying, really. So just a few more facts about Satan. Well, Satan is, is God's adversary. He is not God's equal. Amen, amen, amen. Right? <laughs> He is not God's equal, and he is a creature, not a creator. And we've got to draw that distinction and remember that and bring that into mind. So he's a creature. He's a created being. He's an angel, but he's not the creator. And that's who we serve. He was defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ, the death that Scripture in Genesis fulfilled in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. He crushed him. No more, no more. You're no more Satan. And he knows it. He's going to try to take everybody he can with him. His vast army of demonic little minions that help him out. And We need to be aware of that. We need to be reminded of that. So we wrestle against, not against, the, but the principalities. You know the story. You know the verse. These demons uh, set up snares for the believers. They get in there and they kind of twist things. then they make you question, and they make you doubt. I want to quote Tim from Tim's book at this point. The Scriptures tells us that the earth is Satan's domain, 1 John 5, 19. Even though he knows he'll eventually lose, that is Satan, he will eventually lose, he still fiercely defends his territory. He doesn't back down. He's going to keep and take as much as he can and as much as you and I are with him, if he can. We're in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from what? Nothing can us out of his hand. Claim those things. Know who you are in Christ. He's roaring around seeking those whom to devour. We've touched on first Peter. Those around him, he desires uh, them to be people that fall after him and worship him, not God. Remember who Satan is point is. I would ask. He's, uh, I would ask. He seeks to devour your ministry. I'm going to ask you that question. Is he trying to devour your ministry? Is he trying to destroy your ministry? Could you think of ways that that happens? Could you think of things that you need to put in place to help it not happen? He seeks to uh, destroy your calling. I don't know how many times that I uh, was challenged on my calling. And for whatever the reason, uh, (laughs) well, I know the reason. The spirit of God was within me where I said, I don't question my call. Even when we walked back to that room that one day, and she says you need to go get a job at Home Depot, I wasn't called to work at Home Depot. I was called to do ministry and student ministry specifically, and I was in it for the long haul. God had to pry me out of that position and move me on to another position because I was in it for you know 50 years. Almost made it. Uh, he, he seeks to destroy your calling, and he seeks to destroy to take you out. So, really, this is a reminder, right? It's a reminder. Uh, second way we can defend your ministry is this. Know the indicators of spiritual warfare. Know the indicators. What do they look like? Maybe what, what has happened around you? What's happening to you? Uh, and I'm going to touch on even one that was mentioned during our, our conference time here. Uh, Mohoff suggests that there are five top indicators of spiritual warfare. And in some of his research and study, he comes up with these five different ones. Inappropriate anger. Okay. Been there. Sense of impending doom. What do I mean by that? You might experience financial issues, parenting issues, health issues, anxiety about losing your job, stressful ministry situations. Man, this isn't gonna work. Oh, this is difficult. He uses those things, and those are those will weigh upon you mentally, psychologically, and there's this impending like this is this really worth it? It's costing violent dreams remember what he preached on he woke up and he fell in the children's boys room and was praying and he had this dream Tim tells the story of him and his wife and he's had this dream and he went to his elders and he t- spoke to his elders and goes that's spiritual warfare Tim we need to pray for you right now and it's like you know what it's real no longer believe the best about God have you been there no longer believing the best about God. That usually happens because we don't understand who God is. We've been in ministry long enough. Helen has a really good friend. She just doesn't understand who God is. I mean, she's walked with God, I've been in church all her life, but she doesn't understand who God is. So, therefore, she walks away and doesn't necessarily believe the best about God and that He wants the best for you and I. And, and And we've heard that. He charges us to lean into him, to trust him, to surrender things to him, to have a relationship with him. No longer believe the best about yourself. (laughs) So once again, you start finding yourself questioning things. And we're reminded in scripture of, you know, like Philippians 4, uh, of um, what we're not to do. And when it comes to walking with God, we're not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I've experienced both types of people doing ministry and and doing, especially like funerals, for example, where you know the people and the family members that know God. And yeah, they're, they lo- they lo- they're hurt. They lost their loved one, but they know where they're at. And there's a peace that passes all understanding. And they're happy that they're with God and they don't have to suffer no more. if They're suffering depending upon the circumstance. And then there's those that are like, whoa, oh my gosh, how could he do this? Why misery, misery, misery. And the, and the enemy wants to make them <laughs> be miserable on top of it all and question who God is. And that's a good time for you and I to minister to them, right? <coughs> Romans 8, 3, 9. This is really speaking to who we are in Christ positionally. And so, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, one of the things that I'm reminded of when I read that passage, I think of uh, Neil gave us a list from our syllabus. At, this is years ago, 30 plus years ago at Talbot and and in it it was my identity of who I am in Christ. And I heard Helen reference that about our kids when they were being attacked and and we tell them, you know what, this is not who you are. This does not define you. You're a child of God. And Michelle Anthony, she wrote in her spiritual parenting book about how her daughter messed up really, if that name's familiar to, to you, but anyway, she writes in her book and she says you know what, a child of God, her daughter writes back to mom, how a child of God is like this, and she talks about her identity in Christ and who she really is. The point being is spiritual warfare is no joke. So hopefully this is a time of just reminding us and encouraging us. When we took on ministry, and, and I'm going to fly over to this part especially, because I want to definitely interact with you guys. Uh, a pastor in Hemet, California And so we walked in this a few years. The first few years were truly what people would say no honeymoon. (laughs) It was a bit of a challenge. And we kind of knew a little bit of that coming in, but we were not like seasoned veterans. We had about six to eight years of volunteer part time positions of student ministry stuff. And then we're walking in and taking on this ministry. And uh, I was followed around, I was questioned. I was attacked. Uh, I was saying I was teaching on biblical things. Or uh, I mean, this thing, fire, dart, fire dart after fire dart after fire and dart, and the uh, business administrator questioned, "Oh, what are these receipts about?" Well, I bought I, I bought some things for a game, and he thought I was just buying some things for myself. <laughs> I mean, thinking, <laughs> everything was questioned, which is fine, but you know what? It gets a little personal. It's like you don't trust me. <laughs> Uh, my wife would collect all the funds, document everything, and, and, uh, and turn it in. And then we had to pull off the trip, right? Well, I'm not going to give you a check for that much. And we had to wrestle through that. You know, it was like, things like that. There's little battles within church. <laughs> Crazy stuff. It was kind of like non-stop attack. But here's the point. I'm more like a Marine. <laughs> I'm going to climb that hill. Yeah, conquer it. Let's get over that hill. Let's see what it takes to get up that hill. So in contrast, my wife was experiencing, and I didn't realize this, and it definitely, as we look back, we see it, a sense of impending doom. And what do I mean by that? Uh, for nine years, the home that we lived in didn't have much of anything on the walls. You know, ladies, you like to nest, right? Put your things where you want them, hang things up, get those pictures up. We didn't have any of that, and I didn't realize it. But she was living in a spirit of doom, like, we're not going to stay here long. <laughs> we're moving on. <laughs> They're not going to keep us. They're going to do what they say. You last about two years, and you're gone, you know. They're going to chase you off. Well, we were ready, but we were that Marine. 21-plus years, a long haul, and, and uh, it was a good haul. We were extremely blessed at what God done and how he used us. We look back and we count our blessings because we know a lot of stories. We get to hear some of your stories. And some are great and some are discouraging, you know. On the other hand, I had to deal with inappropriate anger. That ministry time came to an end. And, 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 and so I honestly, honestly thinking it was inappropriate appropriate anger, not inappropriate anger, I was justified in my anger or my rage. And and, uh, I worked under five different pastors, outlast them all. I was at a church where I was the pastor for a week (laughs) until the new guy was called. (laughs) But I've been losing all your men on staff and just sticking it with it. And so uh, one pastor constantly did some things that I worked and served under. So sometimes they'll use the staff that you work with. The enemy will use it, but he'll throw lobs out there. Hey, have you thought about this? Have you looked at this? I heard about that. What are you telling me? You don't want, well, just tell me if you want me to move on. I mean, <laughs> well, another one was jealous, and, and at least that's my interpretation. <laughs> I, would, I was deeply rooted. I was deeply invested. I cared about these people. I loved them. I poured into them. My philosophy of ministry was to train up the next generation, teach them to serve in the church, to love people, to get their eyes off of themselves, to own their own faith. That was the passion. That was desire. But the enemy was doing everything to destroy it. And there's a lot of stories built into that over the years. But the jealous situation that I was dealing with at the end, uh, being asked to step down and move on, that was hard. It's like, okay, I'm not questioning it. What's the problem? I mean, be honest with you, I couldn't. Just, you know, just need you to do this. All right. It took about two years to overcome that inappropriate anger. And it didn't want it to stop me, didn't want it to change me. The first year, kind of nine months or so, used it to heal them. <laughs> it didn't give us much time to heal, probably. But I was right there at another small little church that we helped from our our daughter, Our don't say it right, our church planted this church. So we had a daughter church. And so we stepped in there as kind of a, a place to kind of stabilize as we're seeking and candidating at those places and Satan could have easily, my point being is this, my, Satan could have easily have taken me out. And I could have said enough's enough. And, and I think my wife may have even said that. At the time he had provided, and I thought, you know, I've prayed about bivocational and I've been doing bivocational ministry for nine years. It, it's not until this year that I've not chosen, I've chosen not to go back and try to find it. But then now I'm kind of like with COVID hitting and all that stuff the past couple years, people believe in the California I'm thinking, okay, Lord, maybe I need to find another side and come to help sustain a ministry because I don't want to see this ministry close its doors because that's another thing that the enemy wants to do, close churches. And he's doing a good job at it, right? So the point is that I could have easily been taken out. So watch out for spiritual warfare. It's real. Third way, we can defend. Now I'm going to shift gears a little bit. How do you defend? How do you protect? We realize that there's an enemy, there's spiritual battle, there's the flesh and all that stuff. But, you know, how do we protect? How do you establish strong boundaries to protect you and your ministry? What have you done, maybe I should say? What have you learned along the way? Let me give you a few. Let me share a quote first. D.G. Kyle wrote this in regards to slow and progression of sin. We do not fall in a moment. This is a quote. Rather, the predisposition to yield to sin has been forming, building, germinating, but not necessarily consciously so. He states this conclusion. Satan plants subtle, sublime, often subliminal ones. He influences an attitude. He wins a minor victory, always in preparation for the big fall. And I let out with some big falls, huh? Where they, oh, that's no big deal. We could do this. My goal in ministry was to prevent the big fall. You know, I I use uh, Steve Farr's books, Finishing Strong. I want to finish strong. (laughs) That's the title of one of his books. He's a pastor. And I was like, I don't want to screw up. You know, I don't want to take the big dive. You know, pastors and people in ministry fall pridefully, as Satan did. Financially, you know, not being good stewards of the funds that God's entrusted to you, inappropriately. And that's on the slew of ways, and which that falls in that category. So my goal was to be to prevent this big fall. So help me add to this list. I'm going to give you some pretty quickly here. Um, that there are common ones you're familiar with them. There's things that we had to learn and we established along the way, but we put in place immediately. Like do not have a woman alone, guys, or vice versa. You know, if you're in a leadership as a lady, you don't you're not alone with the opposite sex you're not in a situation where you could be accused of or point of would an all possible establish that we established that for student ministries we we never took girls home we never took the babysitter home Um, my wife would take her home never had a single woman in the car at all ever possible if so honey i am in a situation this was going on and a conversation, hopefully along the way, you know, as you're driving down the road, dropping them off, or whatever the situation may be. I had a situation where where a girl was waiting. I'd call up, say, "Hey, honey, I either need you to come down here, or you need to be aware of this, or somehow we need to figure this out." Because you don't want to be taken out like that youth pastor I told you a story about. And it happens. Uh, the second thing boundary might be do not counsel any long period of time the opposite sex, especially even alone, because that's where things get twisted and accusations get made and it just gets ugly. And so as a rule of thumb, either do it with your spouse together or have your spouse counsel, the, for, from, I'm talking from a guy's perspective, handle it that way. One of the best things you could do. And you just need to be careful of that. Third boundary. Have asked my leadership. Do you understand the standards? What's the what's the standards? What's our code of conduct? Uh, do you understand them? Read it to them repet- repetitiously. We, because we work with youth and we work with leaders all these years, we always every year minimum go over it. Because we had several events that applied to the same principles, we'd be covering the same material two to three times. So I knew that they know the code of conduct. You know. You don't rough handle You don't have kids set in your laps. You don't, there's these codes of conduct and things that protect them and the ministry that God's called them to, that you want to have in place and be aware of. And so you, you make sure of that, and, and, and you put those things in place. Many times I challenge them to step up the standard. <laughs> You're pushing the line there, you know. Or I ask them to maybe, you've got to resign. You obviously can't meet what we're asking you to serve under. And so uh, now as a leader, I have elders and deacons and also uh, to agree to the same kind of thing. (laughs) I stepped into a ministry that I didn't realize how messed up it was. And uh, when I was first there at the church, and, and I didn't know that the leadership team that well at all. And there was four to five guys that the pastor had under him, and he asked me to act as a deacon and serve there and kind of be adjunct while I was candidating in another church, ready to move on. And I said, I could do that for you. I can help you out. And I didn't know the character of these men, and during the course of the time, I was called to that same church, and he moved on, and I inherited some of these men, almost every single one of them. And sooner or later, I started to learn about them, and I learned... This guy struggled with pornography. <laughs> this guy struggled with having his home in order. This guy struggled, and uh, I thought I had a healthy team. And he had an affair with a person overseas and, and his ongoing affair. I'm thinking, oh, and I won that uh, leader after letter. You have to step down. You have to step down. The inappropriate behavior, not having your home in order, his wife was writing letters and it was undermining the ministry. So I, said, I want you to come back. I want you to serve, but you need to get that in order. That's not appropriate. And I was just young guy stepping in, volunteer, dealing with some of that then and also on into the next, as I took on the ministry as a senior pastor. And so I was like, God wants to take this ministry out. He wants to destroy it. What do I need to have in place to help safeguard these things? You have those standards. You have those code of conducts. And you've got to be willing to confront and love. And so and those are some of the things that we've learned. I wasn't worried about the numbers. (laughs) I knew that we needed to have, uh, we are kind of like a missional church, I felt. And I still feel that today, still, because it's like, I got three elders, and one's ready to step aside, and it would be down to two, and one's really young, and one's mature in the Lord. And I think, that's not really a leadership team, it's a couple guys helping me do ministry. And so, pray for that for me. But um, the point being is, is that it's important to make sure that your leadership understands What's out there, what they're to do, how they support you, how they could protect the ministry, and, and, and that's important. <sighs> Seeking to defend God's ministry has been an ongoing mission for me the whole entire world in ministry. Another boundary, a fourth one might be uh, the technology era, and I'm not going to get into that, <laughs> but to summarize it this way, you want to be above reproach. you want to have links and supports that protects you, that guards you. You want to station and position your equipment and devices and give access to your spouse, you know, so that you're protected and and you're above reproach. And use it wisely. I need to repeat that probably three times. Use it wisely. I think this is to my fault maybe, but I don't correspond much via a text or email. I want to see you face to face. No, nothing gets misconstrued. Must, nothing gets misinterpreted. We're face-to-face here. Let's talk this out. And then you have a witness. If, you have to have, if it's a bad you definitely have a witness. And you don't do it alone. So that's important with boundaries. And, and uh, <clears throat> my intern staff that I had serve under me, I, I really kind of honed in on them a little bit because I told them, I said, what you do could put me in jail. What your staff does (laughs) under you could put you in jail. Because they go after the leader. (laughs) Not the minion underneath, they'll go after the leader. And they want to take the leader out. And so I told my leadership team, I said, you're my eyes and ears. I need you to be above reproach. I need you to be above reproach in every single area possible. And so you need to be careful. And if they weren't, I said, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to call the police and let them look at your computer if you're struggling with pornography or whatever it may be. That's inappropriate if you have substance, uh, whatever the case may be. I'll try to help steer you in the right direction and get you help, but then I'm going to ask you you need to step down. Because uh, I'm here to serve the Lord. It's, this is God's ministry. This is God's name. And how many, times do we, how many times have we heard the name of Jesus being destroyed because some leader, religious, godly man, uh, Lord, I don't know why it's always men, but there's a few women, but mainly men are, they screwing up. They're messing up big time. Don't record that, I just said to... anyway if <laughs> we don't share uh, 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 this fifth one for you guys, I want to share with you is I don't share uh our personal mar- marital frustrations. <laughs> we are truly opposites i I've been blessed with a helpmate, and uh, her story and my story is polar opposites and, and but i I'm so richly blessed and we don't see things always the same way, and, but yeah, we intentionally earlier on in ministry, she had done ministry right by my side. I call her my administrative assistant. I call her my Holy Spirit incarnate. I mean, I I mean, I joke about those things, but that's she plays a vital role that protects the ministry. And so, we would sit and work things through in the office and talk about things, and sometimes we would disagree. It's like. Okay, pause. we we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it. Not there. Not in front of people. And I have a bad habit. Not her. I have a bad habit of doing and saying things that hurt her. And so Satan wants to use those things, and he tends to amplify those things, and we just need to be careful. So for, for, for those years that we serve like that, we do it to this day. She is my secretary, basically. Uh, she'll write the memos up. You know, you don't want things misinterpreted, so you need to have someone either either do it yourself or filter it, and, and your wife's your best person, and, and let them verify it and send it out then before you do anything. No ministry uh, correspondence uh, will get messed up if you have a, someone like that on your side. Uh, it's not going to get misinterpreted, and she'll have your back. As a lead pastor, she still serves in that role. I mentioned that already, and I count my blessings, you know, I don't know, how else I would do ministry. If I took on another position somewhere else, which I'm thinking about, you know, because I need to do it bivocationally still, because we're in a smaller church, don't have the funds, I wish she could be there with me, because I don't want to do it alone. Because I, I know that I'm going to be around all these new people, and they're going to, it may not last long, but I can last a lot longer if I have that extra set of eyes. Uh, it sounds like you guys understand I agree, and agree, and I appreciate that. Always have that extra set of eyes. That's my sixth point. Eyewitnesses. And what do I mean by that? So as a student, as a youth pastor, I always had leaders in the ministry, and even as a pastor now, that would travel with me. I, I was gone 24-7, a minimum of 30 days out of the year. If it wasn't four days in Mexico, two to three times a year, or a week-long missions trip, or a three-week-long missions trip, or a two-week-long Camp, a week camp setting you know in a situation I always had extra set of eyes and what did that look like as you're traveling these ministry miles you're away from home you're taking these precious little ones away from their moms and dads you're telling them to cut the cord mom <laughs> I was bad about that <laughs> some of those parents to this day still you told me to cut the cord <laughs> stop being that helicopter parent <laughs> Each trip, you know, I had support staff. And that support staff, I would always pour into and meet with them. And one of the things I would always tell them, I said, You're my eyes and ears. I need you to be catching things that maybe I don't catch or see. If you're picking up on things, give me a heads up. You don't need to confront it, but make me aware. And then me and my wife will deal with that situation. And so we had that support. I remember uh, one of the trips was a four-day trip to Havasu. I got my Class B license. I'm driving this busload of kids, and I'm going down the pass on into Palm Springs. This is a steep hill. This bus can only go about 55 miles an hour, but I got it up to 70. <laughs> and no sooner than that, that happened, shortly thereafter, one of my sponsors came up to me and said, Troy, you're driving the bus way too fast. You could have cost you could have taken some lives out, and i said you 're right, I had to apologize you know I was, I was I was driving way too fast. I kind of got a left foot I guess, and so you guys got to do things like that even have a sponsor they 'll come up to you and and you 're able to be approachable and confront you and call you out. Um, let me keep going here really quick, so I have some time at the end, so there are my eyes and ears and and, and you want to be above reproach and uh, I've never tr- traveled alone on any trip without that. That's always important. So 30-plus years, and, and, I, I, and I'm not being called into court. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. You know, this is 40 years later here. Here's the point. If a situation comes up, it, it'll always be your word against theirs. And you guys are aware of that. All parents will always take the side of their kid, Right? And so, as leaders, we always had eyewitnesses, and it's a core value. And so, my core value and the thing that I would say in defense of ministry is two, three deep. I don't know if you ever heard that statement, but it's been a mantra of mine. You want to be two, three deep. If you get all, we're a small church, it's hard (laughs) to be two or three deep. I I constantly ask who's down in the nursery? Who's with them? Oh, an adult and a kid. Is there another adult? We won't, but we're small, we're short, the number's only at 40 right now, I don't have extra help. Okay, let's do what we can. We can put cameras in, and but be 2, 3, deep. Protect them, protect yourselves, protect the ministry, protect God's work.